How are we doing? We ready for more? I mean, you're here. So we're going to jump back into where we left off last week, which is talking about relationship. And so I'm going to give you guys a quiz. It's a pop quiz. We are harmed through relationship. Therefore, we must be healed through relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to lean into the hope side. We're going to talk about how we heal and how we heal with each other. So we're going to lean into the side of where do we go from here? Now, I could literally talk about this for 12 hours because I have done that before. Uh, and so since we can't do that, and I can't really take up the next sermon from now until, I don't know, mid-April, uh, we are going to continue this in a connect group format where we're really going to lean it more into the content and the science over the next coming weeks starting in uh, mid-November. So that's a little plug. And we'll get deeper into the content. Well, the first thing I want to start with today is just a basic fundamental premise. And that basic fundamental premise is we are all weirdos. <laughs> so we are all weirdos. We are all just a bit off, right? We're all just a bit off because we're a bit off because we were created in the image and likeness of God, our creator. And then the fall happened. That's what we talked about last week. We're deviated from that image in the context of relationship. We are deviated in how we act with each other because we have a relational history that has happened in which we act with each other out of. We all have maladaptive skills that are rooted in relationship. That's just a really fancy therapy way to say we're all just a little off. We all do things that are just kind of a little different because we have history in that. We all have had that conversation with that person where you did something and you're like, oh, why did I do that, right? Or we did something and then later you're like, I don't know why, why that happened or I don't know why that person did that to me. I'm never talking to them again. Because we have those maladaptive skills, we're taught and we react to our environment through our relationships and then we expound that out into all relationships through the rest of our lifespan. And that's why we talked about attachment last week. The other concept is that we are all broken. We are all broken through the context of relationships. We have a disruption that has happened or disruptions that have happened through the context of relationship that inform the way that we interact with our world. So I want you to think of a tree. So think of a tree kind of in a 3D or a 2D slice, and I want you to see the tree, the leaves. There might be fruit on it. I don't know what kind of tree you're thinking of, but we got tree, we got fruit, we got, we got um, the roots underneath the ground. And those roots inform everything that that tree does. They inform how healthy it is. They inform what fruit it grows. They inform when the leaves turn. All of that tree is informed by its root system. You don't see that root system, do you? You don't see the roots of that tree and what makes it and keeps it alive. You don't see that. And we are just like that. In our weirdness and in our brokenness, we are interacting with our world out of the context of our historical relationships, out of our secure attachment, our anxious attachment, 
or ambivalent attachment or our disorganized attachment. And so we project out into the world things that we have learned. And so I told you guys last week that my um, dad's a pastor, and so sometimes when, when in the ministry you move a lot. And so um, we moved a lot when I was little. The last place we moved was when I was in fifth grade. And we moved on the first day of the second quarter of fifth grade. And so I, any fifth grade teachers in here? Don't do this. So I, I land at fifth grade, first day, second quarter. First thing in the morning, they have a test, a test on plants. And we, we get in there, I'm like, oh, whatever, like, uh, and the teacher's like, why don't you take this, and I'll kind of see where you're at. So we take the test. I take the test, and I was like, oh, that's kind of easy, right? Like, this school's going to be awesome. And at the end of the, the test, she grades the papers, and after lunch, she bring, we all come back in, and she holds my test up, right? And so I got 100% on that test, on that plant test. Nobody else in that class got more than a 70. And she took that test, and she put it on the board. I mean, I'm four hours in. Like four hours in. You want to know how not to be cool in the new school? That. Right there. And so four hours in, I have an identity based around something that happened. And for the next 10 years in that community, I did everything that I could to not be the smart kid. Because I didn't want to be the smart kid. And so I did some things, I changed some things, I worked on some things that made me look a little bit different to the rest of the world. And so I, I really think I'm funny, right? Like I tell a lot of jokes, my wife does not think I'm funny, um, but I think I'm funny. And I became a little bit more loud and a little bit more outgoing, and I could probably do this without this microphone, because... I wanted to create something that was different than what my story informed that I was. But my story still informed that change. And so when we look at ourselves, we are informed by the roots of our tree. And the world sees the results. And so when I walk into a room and I walk into this room... It is not necessarily me interacting with you from the genuine essence of who I am and who I was created to be. It's me interacting with you from the results of my relational disruptions. And when we do that stupid crap to each other and with each other, and you send that text and you're like, unsend, unsend, unsend. We do that because it's out of context of our story. And so we are interacting with each other at that level. And that's where I want to start today. The other ba basic premise is we are all broken people. There is not one of us that has all of our crap together. There is not one of us that is just magically created in the image of God and then nothing happened. We didn't escape like the fall. And if you think that, please talk to JR from service. And so we are, we are broken people. We have maladaptive skills that are rooted in relational history. But there's hope here. 
There's hope. We talked about what that looked like last week. We talked about what it does to our brains. We talked about what it does to our behavior and how we communicate through our behavior and how we interact through the story of our brokenness. We talked about the physiological impact, how that can literally rewire our brain and changes the way that we function with our world and the way that we see our world. We become hardwired to think that our needs are going to be consistently and safety, safely met. And so we enter rooms with, with the expectation that we are safe or we enter in with the opposite that we are unsafe and we have to look out for our own needs. And that's a deviation in relationship from the image of God. But here's the good news. We can rewire the brain. We can physiologically rewire those connections. We can change how the brain operates. We can change how we interact with our world. But we can only do that in context of continued perseverance and healthy relationship. We can only do that if we continue to persevere with each other through the maladaptive skills that we present to each other. Because when people get close, and I don't trust the safety of the relationship, I will do everything in my power to distance myself from that relationship. And so as a church, as a healing body, we need to be able to persist through that. The church, as we are, is a manifestation of Christ's image. The early church, the church is to be what Christ was and is. And so we're back to the triune God. We're back to the idea that God exists through relationship. Therefore, we exist through relationship, not only ourselves personally, but also communally in the context of this community together. And as such, we're not here. Our mission is not to serve people that have their crap together. Right? Our mission is to serve people who have been broken through relationship, who have been disrupted through relationship, because that is what the fall symbolizes. We are deviated from what we were created to be in the image of our creator, and we are deviated from what we were supposed to be with each other. And so everybody that walks in this door, I hate to tell you guys, we're all broken. And we're here to serve those people. And so the more we do that, the more junk we're going to wade into. The more we do that, the more there's going to be disruption in our earthly relationships, in our community. But God has a picture for this for us. And so we're going to jump to our scripture today. So I went to the land of easy sermons. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to be if you guys have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to jump in at verse 12. So just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the hand, head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are presentable, unpresentable, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should, be, should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the gift, placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, guidance of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so the first 11 verses of this chapter talk about spiritual gifts. And they use that term. Spiritual gifts. These are the things that we do, that we are gifted with. They are the tricks, the tips, the things that we have to interact with each other. And so we generally hear sermons preached out of this about how we all need to work together for the greater good. And how we all need to justify that we need a preacher, but we also need a janitor. And what we really need, what we really need is we need you two to volunteer for children's ministry. So I'm going to need you to sign up afterwards. And so we talk about this scripture as being a, a picture of, of Christ, of, of, of the church, the big C church, as created in the image of Christ, as operating together, which it absolutely is. But there's a bigger picture there. These things don't interact with each other outside of the context of relationship. They have to be connected. And relationship is a dynamic construct. You cannot be in relationship without being affected. Have you ever been in a relationship with anything in which you are not affected? Whether it's a romantic relationship or a personal relationship or a, or a relationship with your favorite recliner. Like we, there is, a, there is an impact. There's an impact to you because you're comfortable and there's an impact to your recliner because there's a shape of you in it. Everything that we do has a dynamic impact on everybody else with whom we interact. And that's the power of relationship. And that's what we are created in the image of as a church, as a community, to be with each other, to do these jobs, yes, to, to volunteer for children's ministry, but also to care for and love and heal one another so that we may, we may be restored to the image of God, the image of the triune God in which we were created in the likeness of. And that's what the church exists for. We are created in the image of God. God gave us this map of what this is, and I left a little piece off. Verse 31b says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. So we're supposed to be this. We're supposed to be in relationship with each other. And this is how. Because you know what? God knows that relationship is messy. He knows. So he gave us the next step. Do you guys know what the next step is? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? Not the love boat. The love chapter. And it's the image 
in which we are supposed to interact with each other. This is how we achieve verse chapter 12, is by living out chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Who just went over that? Guilty. 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 Right? All of us have been guilty of all of those things out of the context of deviated relationships. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But that when there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, according to my developmental stage. Right? You... You thought I was just making it up last week. Oh, here it is. We are created in the image of God. We are created and we develop the way that God designed us to develop. When I became a man, I put the ways of the childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so we are created in the image of God. We're created in the likeness of God as individuals, but also as a community, as a church, as a people whose mission is to heal the brokenhearted, which is to be in relationship with our creator and then project the image of that relationship to our world. And that is why we are here. And you know what? We're not real good at it. Because we have an image, we have a different image that we have learned, that has informed us, that has created maladaptive skills, that has formed our tree and is our story. Because we don't interact with each other always in this way. We interact with each other based on how my story intersects with your story. And when my disruption intersects, with your disruption. We have a responsibility here to each other, but also a responsibility to seek first relationship with our Creator. We have a responsibility to have an intimate relationship with our Creator because only then can we know what we are supposed to be. Only then can I be what JR needs, what Jason needs when they need it because I have sought out relationship and I, I have an intimate relationship with God so that I know his character. There's one thing about relationship. A lot of times I talk about trauma and I talk about being in relationship with people and I talk about loving them and respecting them and doing all these things. But relationship and love... Do you know what you you get when you Google what is love? 
besides a song. <laughs> that is what you get. What is love? You get a varied uh, list of results that generally have to do with relational intimacy and sex. You don't generally get what love is, which is a deep emotional connection with somebody and a desire to put their needs equal to or greater than your own. And that's what love is. But love is, can also be dangerous because we can then put things too far. And what love is not, this doesn't come up on a Google search either, is love is not blind tolerance. It's respect for someone so that we care for their needs and we desire the best for them and their well-being, but it's not blind tolerance to everything that they might do. And so love and relationship have to have boundaries. And so when I talk with teachers and they were expressing to me what this kid who has trauma does in their class, and they say, so you're just telling me that I need to let them get away with whatever they want. Absolutely not. We have to exist in relationship that has boundaries that are in the image of God. And I can give you one million examples in the Bible of where we have boundaries through the context of an intimate relationship with our Creator and knowing His character. And so I'm going to give you guys three tenets of relationship. And so Jason told you we moved here from Ohio. And I told you last week I grew up in Ohio, and I grew up on a farm. And um, I had a limited experience. You grow up on a farm, you do... Uh, those things, and you know what you know. And I knew when I was getting ready to go to college that I wanted to help people, and I didn't know how. The only image I had was to be a pastor, because that's what my dad was. And so I went to school to be a pastor. And I mean, I did all right. I'm smart. Uh, and so I was doing okay. I was about three years in, and then I decided I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I cuss way too much to be a pastor. <laughs> like, this is not going to work. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do now. And so I took a psychology class, and I was like, ooh, like maybe this. And so I ended up getting another degree. I got a degree in religion and psychology. You know how many jobs you can get with those degrees? <laughs> zero jobs. <laughs> and definitely zero jobs that pay more than $10 an hour. And so I was just kind of listless. I didn't know where to go, and I, I, I got a job at the only place that would hire me. And it was a lockdown juvenile detention center, lockdown long-term residential treatment facility. And they serve two populations, adjudicated offenders, kids that have gotten in trouble, and kids who were victims of uh, human sex trafficking, which generally one leads to the other as we act out our trauma, behaviors, communication. And so I show up to that place, first day, no idea. Literally, the only thing that I can remember about my interview was, are you okay with cuss words? Like, yep, that's why I'm here. <laughs> We're good. And so we, I show up first day. I'm dressed very similar to this. I had boots on, Wrangler jeans, and a belt buckle that I could eat off of or wears, uh, like uses an emergency um, umbrella. I had a black John Deere T-shirt that said farm boy across it. It was like medium because it was 23 and I thought I'd show my muscles off. Right, and so I walk into that place like hot stuff. I drove my, I had a, I had a Jeep that we um, 
we ran the exhaust straight off the exhaust manifold, and it had a glass pack on it, so you could hear it coming for about 16 miles. And so I roll in there. It's got cow crap all over the side of it. And I roll in there, and I walked into that place, and I was one of five white people, staff, kids. I was like, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> right? I couldn't understand what they said. I didn't know their music. And I walked in there, and I was very different. And the first day, the first day in that job, uh, there was a kid that was out of control, and we were holding her to keep her safe, and I was being taught how to do that. And I was holding one, one side of this girl, and the person that was teaching me was on the other side, and then that person ran away. And when she ran away, what happened? The girl took that right hand and popped me right in the face. And we, we fell to the ground, and when we fell to the ground, she instantly pooped and she peed on me. And do you know what I know now is that what happened? She was a victim of human sex trafficking, and all of a sudden the 200-pound white guy fell on top of her. And so behavior is communication. And what did I do? I walked out of that place on my lunch break. I walked to my really loud Jeep, and I sat there and I cried. And I called my mom. I said, Mom, I can't do this job. I can't do this job. And she said, and she's here today, she's hearing this story for the first time, but she might not remember it. But she said, you don't have to do a job. You have to be yourself said, you don't have to do a job. You have to be you. I worked in that place for five years. For five years. And not, I did not look like them. I did not talk like them. I did not act like them. A couple weeks before I left, we're holding another girl. And she's yelling everything at me. You racist, blah, blah, blah. You this, you that. And another kid came down the hallway and said, nope, not this one. When I learned in that moment, it instantly hit me is the concept of genuineness. I'm going to give you three parts of relationship that are essential to healing through relationship. And the first one is genuineness. The first one is to just be ourselves. We don't have to be... The Scripture doesn't tell us to be something. It tells us that we are to be together in who we are. 1 Corinthians 12, when it's talking about spiritual gifts, it's also talking about us being unique and being individual and being genuine in context with each other. And so we are created in the image of God to be ourselves. You have a unique history. That unique history is essential for someone to find healing. I promise you that. You may have not found them yet, and I'm guessing it's a lot more than one person. Your history, your story is your change agent. Your history, your story, is the impact. It is how we help people. So I left that job. I moved across the country. I went to grad school, and I worked for uh, West Virginia University's uh, hospitals in their psychiatric hospital. And I worked with adjudicated male sex offenders that were adolescents. I have a really hard time picking jobs. <laughs> and so I walked in there, first day. I also have a really hard time on first days. I walked in there, first day, and in traditional sex offender treatment, what they have you do is, is called a VITA. You know what a VITA is? It's a resume. And so when a new person joins your group, you have to say everything that you've ever done, every offense that you've ever done. 
And so I walk in there, and for three hours, first day, I hear stories that I never knew existed. And I was sitting there thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing? And I worked there for a couple years. And you know what I found out? They were kids. They were teenage boys. You know what they liked? Teenage girls. And football. And playing. And having fun. And being cared for. And being loved. And being respected. And being in relationship with somebody. And you know what helped them get better? Being loved, being cared for, and being in relationship with somebody. And what I learned there was empathy. What I learned there is everyone has a story that is worth caring about. Everybody has something in them that is worth caring about. No matter what they have done, no matter how they have acted out their pain, I'm not excusing behavior, but how we act our pain sometimes categorizes us as unlovable. I don't I can't find that scripture. That scripture doesn't exist. And so we have genuineness and we have empathy. And then as Jason said, my wife and I got married, we we jumped in a U-Haul, we moved to Montana, and I found this company here called Intermountain and I worked with kids in the school district. And I was working with a lot of these kids that nobody wanted to work with. And one day we're sitting there at lunch and a kid looked at me, and he looked at my partner, and he said, we're, we're like a spiritual family. And I was like, we kind of are, right? Because it's relationship. And so what I learned here is vulnerability. What I learned here is you cannot be in relationship if you cannot be vulnerable. Now, what do we call vulnerability in Montana? Weakness. That is absolutely not true. That is absolutely the wrong definition of vulnerability. Vulnerability, at its core, is the art or the essence of being known. Vulnerability is allowing somebody to know who we are. It's allowing somebody to know a little part of our story, or a lot of our story, or however we connect with that person. And so if we want to be a healing body created in the image of Christ's relationship, then we have to be genuine, we have to have empathy, and we have to have vulnerability. We need to be known to each other. And so we do this through, through a, a fancy therapy term that we call co-regulation. Anybody know what co-regulation means? Co-regulation is the art or the, the act of re regulating each other or regulating somebody that's dysregulated because we are regulated. And so when I was in college, I went to a small college in, in a cornfield, literally in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio, because uh, that's all that's in Ohio. Uh, and it was, a, it was a very religious college, and they had a lot of lifestyle guidelines, and so everybody was supposed to be really nice to each other, run around, and... I had, a, I had a roommate, and his name was Ricky. And Ricky and I were um, a little outside of some of the lifestyle guidelines uh, at, the, at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. And so we were there for a long time. We kind of developed a reputation. We had our little group of people, and we, we like to do things with our group of people and not those other people, those religious weirdos, right? 
And so Ricky had a problem with a kid named James. I don't know when it started or where it started, probably freshman orientation three years ago. But it all came to a head one day in a flag football game, intramural flag football. And we're playing flag football, and we're playing James's team. And, of course, James and Ricky are, uh, like, guarding each other on either side of the ball. And sometime about the third quarter, I look over, and James and Ricky are on the ground rolling around. And so I don't even know when it happened, but all of a sudden, like I was punching the guy across me, right? Like my fist is here. His fist is coming at me. I like that dude. Like we sit together in our 910 class. Like he's pretty cool. But I was reacting to the emotions, to the dysregulation of my friend. And so I was acting not out of co-regulation, but out of dysregulation. And co-regulation is, do you ever have that person that you call when you're just hacked off? And they're like, it's going to be okay. And after five minutes talking with them, you're like, it's going to be okay. That's co-regulation. It's regulating through another regulated individual. We can't do that on our own. That's created in the image of relationship. We have to do that with another person. We have to do it with another regulated human being. Has anybody had a breakup? Who do you call? You call somebody that's not going to co-regulate you, right? Like, you call the person that's going to be like, let's slash their tires. <laughs> let's light their car on fire. Like, we call that person that will be in that emotion with us. But that's not what we are designed to be. We need to be there for each other. Because if we are to regulate each other and find healing in the image and likeness of God, and find relationship in the image and likeness of God, we have to do that together. It is not an individual construct. It is not an individual journey. It is not an individual task that we can do. So we have to do that together. We join together. The, con the therapeutic uh, term of joining means to be with. It means to be with. It means I'm going to be with you in your dysregulation. I'm going to be with you in your pain. I'm going to be with you in your disruption. I'm going to be with you when you do stuff, something stupid and I have to go bail you out of jail. I'm going to be with. I'm going to join with you. When we have a kid that's throwing a tantrum, sometimes we do what? Go to your room. Or go do this. But what we need to do is be with. You and I can do this together. I struggle with this with my three-year-old because she is awful at cleaning up. And I want to say, just go clean your room, right? But you know when she cleans her room? When I do it with her. Otherwise, it's what we call a power struggle. and We just yell at each other the entire time. And she wins because she's three. But we have to do this together. We have to be in this together. You know how many times the, the term I, I am with you is in the Bible? As Jesus speaks it? 21 times. You know how many times the term with you is in the Bible? 556 times. And most of them are in the context of God being with us when we are disrupted. When we are disrupted in our limbic system, which is what we talked about last week. When we are afraid. 
when we are uncomfortable, when we feel ashamed, when we feel disrupted, when we feel wronged in the context of relationship. The next thing we need to learn is attunement. And we have sympathy, which is feeling bad for somebody. We have empathy, which is feeling bad with somebody. And attunement is doing something about it. And so the the dictionary definition of attunement is a kinesthetic and emotional sensing of others, knowing their rhythm, affect, and experience by metaphorically being in their skin and going beyond empathy to create a two-person experience of unbroken feeling connectedness by providing reciprocal affect and or resonating response. Who just zoned out on me there? What does that mean? It means we are with them and we respond to them in their pain and in their brokenness by connecting with our pain and our brokenness. And that is the relationship in the image of God, in the image of our Creator. Now, being in relationship with people and creating healing relationships, we're harmed through relationship, we must be healed through relationship, requires persistence and patience. And it requires those two things because we have a pattern that we have established. And that pattern is called attachment. That pattern is what we talked about last week. Is It is my fundamental understanding when I enter into relationship with you or in a room with you that my needs are going to be consistently met and I am safe in the context of that relationship or my, consi- my needs will not be met and I am not safe. I have to look out for myself. And so in order to undo that, in order to heal through healthy relationship, we have to outlast the behavior. Because the closer we get to somebody, the more disruptive they will feel and the more that they will try to get you to do what everybody else has always done to them. And the more that they do that, the more you're not going to want to be around them. Because we are masters at creating distance. We are masters at getting people to do what we think we want them to do. And if we have a disrupted attachment, that is to stay away from us. And so have we ever done something to somebody or done something in the context of a relationship that we didn't really cognitively want to do, but we did it out of our attachment construct? We did it out of our history and whether we fundamentally believe that they're going to be there for us or not. And so if we are going to heal through healthy relationship as a church created in the image of God, created in his likeness, then we have to wade through all that junk. We have to wade through all that distancing behavior. We have to be with. We have to be genuine. We have to be vulnerable. We have to have empathy. And we have to attune. We have to do something about it. Now, when we do that, there is relational risk. There is relational risk to ourselves because, as I said before, relationship is a dynamic construct. Relationship is not something that exists outside of the context of something happening to both parties. Just think of your recliner. There is an impact on both parties. And when we are healing through healthy relationship in our story, our trauma, our, our history is interacting with the brokenness of somebody else, it can trigger our own. And then we are disrupted. But that's what all of you guys are for so that we can co-regulate. Hopefully all of us are not broken at the same time. We're at different stages of healing. We can be together as a church body, moving towards the image and likeness of our Creator. 
And there are four specific ways that we are harmed through relationship, through healing relationship. The first one is vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma is being traumatized by other people's trauma. Vicarious trauma is being disrupted by other people's stories, by their pain becoming our pain, their pain manifesting itself in our internal way that we operate and then communicate behavior. That's vicarious trauma. We can be traumatized by the stories of others. The second is acute stress. Acute stress is being involved in or witnessing an event in which we are worried about the safety of ourselves or somebody else, in which we are worried about the physical safety of ourselves or somebody else. And most of these happen within the context of relationship. They happen within the context of being worried about somebody we care for, or if we are gone, what's going to happen to those that we care for. And acute stress is an incident in which we are worried about that outcome. And so one that I have is I was working uh, in a school. I was a therapist, and we had a young young kid. He was five years old, and mom shows up for the Christmas uh, musical performance, and she is drunk, like can't walk down the hallway, needs to rest every five to ten feet. And so we called the police. We called the sheriff because we didn't want them to leave. Nobody showed up. And so at the end of that performance, she gets in the car with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and two one-year-olds and drives away. That's a huge stress. I was worried. I was physically sick regarding the safety of those kids that I care about. And we have those stories through the context of relationship. The next one is burnout. And burnout is a water drip and the, the exhaustion of our resources, whether our mental resources, our emotional resources, our physical resources, our financial resources, or whatever else kind of resource we have at our disposal. It's the exhaustion of that and just wears us down. Does anybody have any older siblings in this room? Does anybody know what this is? Anybody ever been held down and they sit on you and they tap your chest like this, right? It's not very hard, and for a few minutes you're okay, and then all of a sudden you want to die. That's burnout. All of a sudden, being in the pain with everybody around us has exhausted our ability to give back or have empathy or be able to attune or be genuine or be vulnerable. And that is disrupted, and that is burnout. The fourth thing is moral injury. And moral injury happens whenever we deviate from our personal moral code for whatever reason. Whenever we make decisions or we're asked to make decisions or at our job we're forced to make decisions that are outside of our moral code. Where we do something generally out of, the, out of an effort to help someone, be in relationships with someone, but it might be just a little deviation from who we are. In the mental health world, this happens a lot because insurance world rules our world and we want to pay for resources. And so we might, take, we might diagnose a kid a little bit differently than what the letter of the DSM says just so we can get that kid service. Or we might do something with a friend or to help a friend that's just a deviation from our moral code. That's moral injury. 
And so we have to take care of ourselves. The first way we take care of ourselves is to be in intimate relationship with our Creator. It's to seek our Creator out through prayer, through community, but seek a relationship out in which we know the character of our God. The next way, the, the relational way, is called reciprocal restoration. We sometimes confuse this and we call this self-care. Anybody ever heard of self-care? Has anybody ever said this to when somebody leaves? Hey, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. That's a misnomer. We are not responsible for our own health and healing. We, as a community, as a church body, are responsible for each other's health and healing and hope. And so this is not a Montana pick-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps moment. That doesn't work. We need to do this together. We have to have relationships that are restorative, and we have to engage in activities that are restorative and help each other engage in restorative activities. And so these activities, they must fill us back up. They must fill our cup back up. So often we... We, we take on this martyrdom hat and we think we have to help everybody. And we volunteer at every opportunity. We show up at every single thing. We, we help and we help and we help and we have nothing left. We have to engage in activities that restore us and that help keep us in the image of our Creator. Those activities must be proactive and intentional. We must do them in a very proactive and intentional way. It has to be purposeful. You can't, act, you can't accidentally take care of yourself. Now we can, act, we can, have, we can have an unplanned um, interaction with somebody that might be restorative, but we really need to take care and plan activities in which we can participate so that we are restored. They must be routine. A lot of times I talk to people and say, how do you take care of yourself? And they say, oh, I love massages. Great. When was the last time you got a massage? 1978. Not reciprocal restoration. Not taking care of yourself. We have to engage in these activities regularly so that we are filled back up. They also must be individualized. And that's going to sound kind of incongruent in terms of operating within relationship. But they have to be individualized because uh, my wife loves to dance. I hate to dance. So every year at the end of July, when uh, Insufficient Funds plays in Boulder and they have their little annual barn dance, and it's $1 to get in, and we live in that community, so my wife wants to go every time. When you see me dancing there, that's not self-care. That's not reciprocal restoration. That's self-preservation. And I do it because I love her, but I am not restored by that activity. How many of us are guilty by this? I, I talk to people all the time. What would you do this weekend? Well, Johnny played uh, basketball in Boston, right? Because it's Montana. We travel like 19, 1,900 miles for travel sports. That's not reciprocal restoration. That is not restoration for you. That is doing something for somebody else. We have to engage in activities that refill and rewire our brain. We have to intentionally engage in fun activities that release positive neurotransmitters that are related to pleasure, like dopamine and oxytocin. We have to rewire that brain. We have to exist in relationship and let others help to care for us as we care for others. 
and that's what we exist for. So I'm going to show you guys a video that really kind of illustrates this. It's going to be a little kind of outside of what you expect. We don't condone everything that's in here. But the fundamental essence is very important. Never thought I could use Talladega Nights in a sermon, did you? <laughs> we are created in the image of relationship. And the things that happen to us, relational disruptions, trauma, ACEs, toxic stress, all of the things that happen to us in context of our story are invisible fire. Because you feel them and I don't see them. You feel the, the angst that comes with your roots, with the story in your roots. But I don't necessarily see it. So we have three options. One is we can be like the announcing crew and we can just be like, whoa, that dude is crazy. Or like, whoa, I don't want to be around that person. We can be like the pit crew. We can try to talk somebody out of it. You're not on fire. There's nothing going on. Or we can be what our creator designed us to be. We can run down the track like a moron. We can jump on top of somebody's pain and be in their pain with them and create new neural connections, create new hope and new history and healing in the image of relationship. Thank you. <laughs>